when you look at immunity, you're looking at wellness, right? Immunity is about peak optimal performance, that your needs are met, you're not stressed and anxious, you're able to focus on the issues, right? So I, I think that animal wellness supports that in terms of providing nutrient-dense food that's optimally nutrient-dense and with minimal inflammation, right? Our immune system is compromised when we're inflamed and inflammation comes from primarily junk that's in our food. We tend to blame the food, but it's more, I think, the junk that's in our food. So that's like, my sense on it is like eating clean, high nutrient density foods is good and anti-inflammatory. And that's probably the strongest line I could connect between meat and, and immunity. That's Anya Fernald. And this is episode 393 of Wellness Force Radio. Wellness Force Radio, where we discover the physical and emotional intelligence to live life well. You can have the same brain states as someone who's done an hour of meditation every day for 40 years. There's a lot of losses that we go through, so the ability to be able to cope with those losses is very important to build skill in it, because loss will happen. You know, you have to have spiritual courage to really grow spiritually, because if you really want to take guidance from your soul, you have to be ready to realize that many of the things that you're asking for guidance on, your ego has some kind of an addiction to or an investment in. Ayurvedic medicine, as well as all the ancient and contemporary masters in health and wellness have taught us for centuries about the powerful benefits of apple cider vinegar. But what do we do when we want to take the ACV, but we don't want to expose our teeth to acids? Most people don't know this, but apple cider vinegar is an acid and prolonged exposure to acids can damage your teeth. So how do we get in the brain boosting, blood sugar stabilization, stamina, focused energy and healing powers of this ACV? without ruining the enamel on our teeth. This is where it gets easy. This with our partner, Paleo Valley, creators of the apple cider vinegar complex taken easily in tablet form without busting your tooth enamel. Paleo Valley created the ACV complex to meet getting organic apple cider vinegar into your body easy, fast, and without having to tolerate the taste. You know, that kind of like, (laughs) have you ever done a shot of apple cider vinegar? I know a lot of people that literally just can't handle the taste. So this is all your organic turmeric, ginger, Ceylon cinnamon, and lemon on top of the organic apple cider vinegar combined with these superfoods. It's nature's way of saying you're welcome. ACV can stabilize blood sugar, promote weight loss, and improve protein absorption and digestion, as well as the big one, stopping heartburn symptoms. Heartburn symptoms are typically caused by too little stomach acid, not really too much. This apple cider vinegar complex makes getting this organic ACV into your body fast and easy and without having to choke on the taste of normal ACV. You can do this. Head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash paleo valley. Use the code Josh and get 15% off your apple cider vinegar complex. That's wellnessforce.com forward slash paleo valley. Use the code Josh to get 15% off your ACV complex. Welcome to Wellness Force. This is Josh Trent. And today I'm ecstatic dancing. Seriously, I'm ecstatic dancing later. I'm actually going to an ecstatic dance later. What have you been doing? This is a big question for all of us, isn't it? What have you been doing lately to move your body? I've been slapped upside the head recently thinking about how since lockdown, uh, we have all had the toll taken on our bodies, right? Our hormones. And it's okay to move. So whatever you're doing today, go for a walk while you listen to this podcast. This is a perfect podcast today. Maybe get a workout and run the stairs, get your sweat on, do something where you are nourishing your physical body. This podcast today 
is a perfect chance for you to take a deep breath and start having a better conversation about boosting your immunity, not with just supplements, but with food and not just for our bodies, but also for Mother Earth, our planet, you know, this globe, this uh, rock in the middle of outer space that we live on. Let's give her thanks. Let's make her more immune. This little speck in the universe that we live on. There is so much on this pale blue dot, isn't there? How do we honor Mother Earth? How do we honor our bodies? How do we honor the animals that live on her? Well, today on the show, we're going to answer all these questions and so much more like the buck stops here with this ultimate question. How do we create and consume animal products that's good for people, planet, and the animals themselves? So what started as one mom's desire to feed her family the healthiest meat possible became a mission to revolutionize the entire meat industry from the inside out. Today, we're talking with the CEO of a company that Wellness Force has partnered with. We believe in this company so much. Wow, it takes a lot for me to partner with someone, and they really proved themselves with their integrity to us. The pioneer of hyper-sustainable organic grass-fed and grass-finished certified humane meats, brats, and jerkies. Our guest today leads a company out of Northern California who reaches across the entire United States. She's on a mission to revolutionize the meat industry for the well-being of people, planet, and all the animals by farming meat the right way. This regenerative and climate-positive practice, which ultimately means it's better for you and better for everyone. Here's the deal, my friend. It is a serious topic, right? This topic today deserves radical immediate attention. And that is conventionally raised animals are confined to feedlots. These are CAFOs. They eat a diet of inflammatory grains. But our guest on the show, the one and only Anya Fernald, her animals graze on open pastures and seasonal grasses, resulting in meat that's higher in nutrients for you and healthy fats that make your body work perfect. This is not only why we're bringing Anya on the show today for this deep dive into how to ethically consume animal products and meats, but also how these nutrients can boost your immunity at the same time and help out the planet. Well, if you yourself have been personally on the fence about eating meat, maybe every time you eat meat, you feel gross in your stomach, or you've noticed that you have an emotional response when you are on the freeway, you drive by and you see the cows standing in their own feces. Well, it's because you have a heart. And in your hometown and every town across America, this podcast is perfect timing. I really want you to tune in with Anya She'll talk about her background in food and being an artisanal cheesemaker in Italy that led her to become a chef and be on television and be this voice for the slow food movement, the organic movement, and how she believes that we can do this. We can revolutionize meat together, but it starts with how we vote with our dollar. We'll explore the hardships she's faced from PETA, including where she was almost attacked. She was physically harassed while nine months pregnant. It's crazy, my friends. It's absolutely crazy, right? Who would have thought like we'd have a fight between carnivores and vegans and paleo and raw food? Can we all just take a deep breath and get along? Can we put down the weapons here and just let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. These are words of wisdom, right? Not just from the artist who sang them, but from our guest Anya today. We're going to talk about food's spiritual connection to emotional health and physical health, and why Anya herself had a massive health transformation when she started eating ethical raised meats. We'll talk about the immune system benefits and what happens to your immune system when you start consuming this type of meat that's grass-fed, grass-finished, with omega-3 and vitamin D collagen-rich proteins that will make your body feel amazing. 
We'll also explore the issues of raising conventional chickens, which totally blew me away. By the way, if you're eating conventional chickens, stop. <laughs> Immediately stop doing that. It's possible to do this in a better way. We can do better. We'll also talk about how Anya became a leader for women in business and so much more. This podcast is a dance between physical and emotional and spiritual sides of a CEO, an entrepreneur, a chef, an agricultural expert who's appeared on the Food Network, Iron Chef, and across the media world. I think you're going to feel her heart and you're going to love her mission even more. It's going to nourish you. You can get all the grass-fed, grass-finished, collagen-rich protein right now for a huge discount, 20% off. Thank you for supporting our sponsors. They believe in us. They believe in you eating healthier meats that can help your immunity and also help the planet. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash Belcampo. That's wellnessforce.com forward slash B-E-L-C-A-M-P-O. And you get 20% off. 20% off is a big, beautiful discount for a big, beautiful box of ethically raised animals shipped right to your door. And it's hands down, no joke, no exaggeration, the best meat I've ever tasted. There's a radical difference between the way Anya's meats, the grass-fed, grass-finished meat tastes and any other meat I've ever had, especially delivered to my door. Do yourself a favor, share this podcast. Do your entire neighborhood a favor. Somebody that's been wavering about how they feel about eating meat, share this link with them too. Wellnessforce.com forward slash Belcampo. So save some money, eat some ethically raised meats and boost your immunity. Let's learn how with Anya Fernald. Josh Trent, Wellness Force, Anya Fernald. Welcome to Wellness Force. Welcome to Facebook Live as well. Thank you for having me, Josh. We had some tech issues and now we are here live. I'm so excited. Wherever you guys are watching from, let us know in the comments. And if you're in your car right now listening, or if you're on YouTube watching us, uh, let us know there too, because this is a global conversation. Like this is a big one, Anya. I've been looking forward to this for like three months. We've been planning and pivoting and like, here we are. You have created something so special with Belcampo. And if people don't even know anything about Belcampo, and you were in an elevator with someone, what would you turn to them if you're wearing a Belcampo shirt? What's what's the clean and just simple way you'd explain what Belcampo even is? Meat you can feel great about eating. Pretty clean. And, and I love short elevator <laughs> it's, it's a really short one. Yeah. That's like a, it's like a one floor thing. So people know you across the world. You know, you're an entrepreneur, you're a chef. Uh, and your background was cheese making as well, which we're going to dig into your story. I loved seeing you on Iron Chef. I hadn't watched the Food Network and I was prepping for this show and I, I saw how much you've been in the media. But one thing I love about you, you have been able to keep your feet on the ground in an industry, let's face it, media. That's not exactly always uh, genuine. What is that about your character and about what you believe in for this world that allows you to operate like in the media world, but stay true to you? So I think my superpower is courage. Um, ever since I was a little kid, I have been very comfortable being myself. So courage, not in like charging into the fire, um, but courage in like, I'm really comfortable being myself. Um, and I remember as a little kid, even, you know, my, my older sister wouldn't walk to school with me because I used to collect antique hats and I used to wear different hats to school every day. And she was like, I'm too embarrassed to walk to school with you. And I was like, that's cool. 
<laughs> so you've always marched to the beat of your own specific well, I, kind of, I remember that little conversation and being like, well, this sort of is what it is. Um, and I've been nonconformist to some degree, but I think I've had a lot of courage to do what I, what felt right in my heart. I haven't always in life. There's definitely been times when I've fallen down sort of rabbit holes of decisions related to answering to other people's priorities or doing what seemed cool or, you know, so, but I think in, you know, I've had the benefit of um, being early in to many things that are now really relevant and um, being early into artisan handcrafted food, being early into kind of like authentic, basic wellness, yeah. um, early into farming. I mean, when I became a farmer first post-college it was 1999, um, there was nothing of what we talk about now of like the back to the land kind of next generation. thing. You were happening. doing it way before it was cool. I think it's really cool to be artisan now. I've seen that word be kind of abused when something's artisan, but, but that's more OG where you actually knew you were traveling for a long time, way before you ever founded Belcampo uh, in Italy, you were doing really unique cheese making. Like there's a rich background for you. Can you, can you give us the highlights from whatever is conscious for you today? Like whatever highlights really light you up about your past today. Can you, can you share that with us before we have this pivotal conversation about eating ethical meats and immunity? You know, it was, I think back to that time in my life and it was, just being on the quest for learning and chasing after things that seemed interesting and that freedom that allowed me to build. I also remember really struggling, you know, being, I, I moved to Europe when I was 22. I ended up staying there for eight years. I became fluent in Italian. I became the director of a microfinance fund in Northern Italy, but I clawed my way into that. Right. And fought for it. Um, I ended up then moving back to the U S and starting my first business in 2006. Um, but I, it was a, it was a journey that was not without a lot of just struggle, you know, being alone, not knowing a language, being afraid, you know, being a young woman. Um, I only had a, a folding bicycle when I first moved there. I didn't get a car till a couple of years in getting around hmm. being in dairies, learning to make, you know, learning really handcrafted food, making working in like artisan dairies without knowing the language and then getting ramped up. But all that stuff, it's like, I, Recently, I've I've been thinking about that time of like, well, you still have that, and that's kind of this the thing that's carried you forward. And the more that I can return to that element of my personality, the better off I am. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was about just questing, growing, and then having this personal health shift as well. You know, I moved to Italy um, as a, and I wasn't that into Italy, and, and you know, I now of course have a, a lot of connections there, but it wasn't like some like romantic, I read under the Tuscan sun. I want to go there. It was literally like, it wasn't I, like I, eat, pray, love. You weren't having a moment like no, that. This was, I wasn't different. having like some big romance. It was like, I can't yeah. be in the U S cause I didn't feel like there was anything that appealed to me to do. Um, I was ambitious, but in a weird way. And, um, I wasn't looking for money. I was looking for things that were just amazing experiences and I wanted to feel really good. I'm a really sensual person. I love eating good food. I love cooking. I love smell. So I moved there and it was like, I had this really incredible health shift. I felt well. Um, I, you know, I didn't have any struggles with moodiness, um, lots of little things that had plagued me as a teenager, like dry skin and split ends and like, you know, uh, cavities, like stuff like kind of evaporated that it felt like they were forever part of my life. So there's a lot of changes that supported that. But more than anything, it was just like stimulating and amazing. You know, it's like I would go foraging on the weekends with my friends for 
herbs, not because they were like, let's try foraging. That was like a big calorie source where I lived in Sicily, wild herbs. And I got incredible wellness out of that in that time of my life too. So it just, it was like, it was, it was really deep nutrition. You we know, can learn so much from Europeans. They they live life in such a different way. Specifically, when I went when I spent time in Sicily, mm-hmm. uh, Sicily and the hills and the wine and Italy, even southern Italy. So, did you speak Italian? And can you share with us here in America, especially now with people in food deserts, what's so different about what you learn there when it comes to slow food and that movement and the understanding of what food actually means to our physical, emotional, and spiritual health? The concept fundamentally is that good food is simple and good food isn't like fancy chefy. good food is simple really good ingredients what we might call clean i would define that broadly as one slower growing two micronutrient rich soils three mindfulness around consumption That's it. So that's how I would now with the lens of like today's wellness on you and mentality, it's really those things, plants and animals that grow very slowly at a traditional healthy rate, right? Different from humans now, right? Girls in the U S go through puberty starting at seven now compared to 13. Yeah. And, then- and a lot of the chemicals that are in food, which later on in this conversation, we're going to touch on not, not to mention the scary things I've heard you discuss about chickens and bleaching. The way they do things where you learn when you were doing artisan cheese making, you know, fresh out of school, those 10 years for you, when you look back on that, like what's the things you pulled from that, that make you a great leader now for Belcampo? Well, I, again, it's like getting back to trusting your intuition. And I say the times that I've been most astray in my life is when I didn't follow my gut on things. Um, so having the confidence to trust your intuition um, speaking your truth, right. Being high integrity. Now there are many different ways to lead Josh. Like I, I personally have, you know, I've seen companies come to massive valuations and massive success and you read about their leadership and it's anything but high integrity, but I feel a huge amount of confidence as a mission driven leader saying we're doing this because it's the right thing to do. Right. That feels really good to me. And I can say that with a lot of courage and a lot of myself, Um, So from my perspective, the best way to lead is around a mission that you can then use as your backdrop and your justification. So it's not like what is on you want. It's, is this the right thing in light of our mission? Is this the right thing to do? And that kind of has a heft and an ability to coalesce that's very different. Because you saw how things naturally were powerful when they were meant to be, where it was very simple. You mentioned the three things earlier. That was what you really cut your teeth on when you were doing cheese making and when you were stepping into the culinary world uh, in the early 2000s. So there's pieces of that that are still present. Like we can still have that here. We just have to reassociate the way we spend our money, the kind of attention we put on food, like revolutionizing meat to be well-being for people and our planet is a massive conversation. We've had conversations with Rob Wolf a couple of times in the show about this point with his sacred cow work. What is it for you that's really like the stake in the ground where you just will not sacrifice no matter how much pain or torment the company or yourself has to go through? Like what's the stake in the ground for you and Belcampo when it comes to the ethical use of animals for feeding humans in a closed organic cycle? Electrolytes are essential 
for an optimal lifestyle. They not only help with training and recovery, but fasting, low energy, fatigue, intermittent fasting, and headaches. They help curb cravings and regulate brain chemistry. Did you know that if you're dehydrated 1%, it can take down the power of your brain function by up to 25%. Like who knew one of the biggest misconceptions about hydration is that all you need is water. This unfortunately in our modern world is just not true. We need electrolytes, sodium, potassium, magnesium, one to two times a day to transcend brain fog and tiredness. LMNT, who we partnered with, is already being used by Navy SEALs, US Olympians, and pro athletes from the NBA and NFL for hydration and recovery. Co-founded by Rob Wolf, our trusted friend, biochemist, New York Times bestselling author, and three-time guest on the podcast, who I trust, and I know that we all trust when it comes to health and hydration. Get a free, totally free, eight-pack sample from LMNT right now. Just pay the shipping, which is like five bucks or less than five bucks. Visit wellnessforce.com forward slash LMNT. That's your free eight-pack sample. My favorite is the citrus, by the way. If you like orange, they have really good orange. No sugar, no BS, wellnessforce.com forward slash LMNT to get your free eight-pack sample. What's the stake in the ground for you and Bill Campo when it comes to the ethical use of animals for feeding humans in a closed organic cycle? Well, the, the most important thing is animals outdoors. Okay. So if I was to look at like from a fundamental integrity perspective, it's animals being raised outdoors is the key piece of health. Um, and so from like everything kind of flows from there, you can be organic, you can be certified humane, you can have other layers on top of that, but to support human wellness evolutionarily, it's supported by animal wellness. So we need to look at systems that allow animals to live in an evolutionary context and live in a way that's in line with their own evolution. 30,000 acres is what you have, right? 30,000 acres. I think there's six or seven different species you grow on the farms. Yes. And this is the way nature intended it to be. Like nature has this amazing wisdom. Like we just get to trust her. And I don't care if it comes to human health or food or the way that we can get vitamin D through our skin. Like there's a lot of people that fight against this. And, and I'm not here to be anti anything. I'm here to be pro human wellness, just like you. But it brings me back to this, this fight between ethical consumption of meat and people that don't believe in eating meat. You were actually pregnant at one point. You were giving a talk and PETA comes up to you and, they, and they, you felt in the moment like they were going to assault you. Like it was a very um, confronting moment. Can you share that? Because that's really the dichotomy of people's belief systems that are kind of grinding on one another right now when it comes to ethical meat. That's so hard. You know, I... I had about two years where I was a real target for PETA and it involved, um, you know, isolating me and trying to threaten me at a talk. Um, and I was nine months pregnant um, and it surrounded me. It was really, really aggressive. And was your partner with you too? Was No, I was, I was on, I was by myself. Like they moved me off the state. It was a very, okay. it was a very sinister, very sinister thing. And then they, you know, they weren't going to hit me or anything, but the, they were just asking me like, would you eat your dog? And I'm like, I'm not going to eat a carnivore. That would be really dumb from a, you know, pathogen perspective, not evolutionary. 
they probably didn't know what to do with that. They were like, pathogens are really, anyways, I were like, you know, yeah. She's like, why are you bringing us the science? We're just angry. (laughs) (laughs) But um, anyways, that's just an aside where I'm like, I would never eat a carnivore. Um, But I, uh, you know, and then it also was um, coming into my restaurants with a megaphone and yelling my name um, at peak times on Saturday nights uh, for like a year. So I managed to wind that down through some pretty aggressive work on my end. Um, But I'd say that all that taught me was, you know, I actually just have a lot of empathy. Um, I think that that movement is trying to do the right thing. And I think I'm actually, I think I understand why I'm a threat. um, And I understand that they'd be happy to see me fail. Um, At the same time, I think my success is their success. I think we're fighting for the same thing. How so? I'm fighting for the end of confinement animal agriculture. And my way of fighting for it is offer a viable alternative that doesn't involve eating hyper-processed soy or other GMO crops or whatever. And, or, you know, basically I'm, I'm fighting for an alternative that, that checks all the boxes that you can feel great about that doesn't involve not eating meat. They're fighting for just not eating meat, but we're fighting for the same thing, which is that and we're, you know, I'm tiny, tiny, tiny operator. 3,000 acres sounds like a lot. It's nothing. Cows eat a lot of grass and our land is very low value. doesn't have a lot of grass on it. So it's not like a massive herd, right? So the numbers sound big, but I'm a tiny player. And we're, as a movement, the whole grass-fed and finished movement in the U.S. is still like less than 1%, right? So we're both fighting that 99%. And many of the messages that the vegan movement says are a thousand percent correct. Sure. Um, you know, it, it, confinement agriculture uses obscene and inappropriate amounts of water. Confinement agriculture relies on genetically modified, highly, you know, basically carbohydrate intensive and maladaptive and sickening foods for animals. This is all true. That's what they say. And this is all true. Um, so there, from my perspective, it's like, I don't, I don't really see us as at odds. Um, and although I've been in moments when I'm angry or I've felt afraid personally, I'm, I don't, I don't feel, um, like we're fighting vastly different battles. Yeah. That's a really beautiful way to describe it. I haven't necessarily felt it the way you articulated it because there is these camps of division. And right now, especially with the COVID and the mask wearing and the division. Uh, Are you Republican? Are you Democrat? None of this stuff actually matters when it comes to humans connecting with other humans. And how is the original way we will connect and we have connected forever? It's around a fire eating food. So we have come so far away from that. Like we have strayed so far away from our roots. How is Belcampo doing this from like a social perspective where, you know, you're educating people about the value of this. Obviously we know And that's why we're so excited to lock arms with you. Like, we love what you're doing. You were introduced to me by a friend, Mike Salemi. Um, He he knows you very well. And so that's what brought us together. We trust and love Mike. He's been on the show a couple of times. So our audience and our community already knows him. But from that social fabric, from that social perspective, what's your narrative? What's Belcampo's narrative to bring people back to the fire, back to the table, so we can do things in an original organic way again? I think a lot of our food today requires you to kind of pitch your nose and not pay attention, right? 
if you think about how we shop in the grocery stores today, we shop with no sense of smell. Everything that we're buying is from a bag and sealed, right? So we can't smell it. We can't touch it. We can't use our biggest superpower, which is our sense of smell, our sense of taste, our ability to use our sensory evaluation tools to evaluate food are taken away from us by the way that food is marketed, mm. right? So what I'm trying to do is to create a product that smells amazing, that has a great story, that's something you want to connect around and that you feel good about. It's not something shameful that you're putting in your body as fuel. And that's one challenge I have for the kind of wellness and health movement now is this like simplification of food as fuel, of protein as protein powder. Those things have a role and I get it. I've used them myself. It's There's moments and things, but we're, we're to the point where that's almost playing the agro-industrial game, right? It's not a far leap to say you make the hyper-processed cornflakes, those don't do very well anymore, toggle, pivot, put some hyper-processed protein powder out there, right? They're, they're all kind of the same components, right? So I think the real act of resistance is to add mindfulness to food, add cooking to food, bring your wellness full circle, engage your smell, learn to cook, taste while you cook, eat meat yeah. that's so clean that you can eat it raw and you're not freaked out about it being dirty. You I know, want to go those back. Oh. Are, I want to go back to what you said. Like, it's so good. You're when you said to PETA, you're like, I wouldn't eat a carnivore just from a pathogen perspective. Can you expand on that too? Because a lot of people don't realize, like, it's probably not the best thing to eat a tiger, a tiger meat or dog meat or things that eat meat. It's probably not something that you want to consume. Can you? Well, uh, it's no accident that? that the most commonly common meat to not eat is pig, which is very carnivorous omnivore given the chance, right? Um, and things like trichinosis or, you know, porcine disease, which is totally related to you know, similar kind of food stuff. So basically the, the idea with that is that if we eat carnivorous animals, we're going to be eating animals that have a very similar microbiome to us. And so parasites that thrive, pathogens, anything that thrives in their bodies would also thrive in ours. Um, so if you're, if you're concerned about, I mean, just so from an evolutionary perspective, A, these are going to be harder animals to get a hold of, right? So they're not the exertion to, <laughs> to caloric yield ratio is going to be off. So that's one thing. But the bigger thing is that, you know, if you were to eat a fox, you're going to be exposed to like a lot of worms and things like that, that thrive in carnivores. And that's more why we don't eat foxes <laughs> than that they're hard to catch. Okay. So when we eat ruminants or animals are primarily eating low calorie, high volume, low nutrient density grasses, totally different microbiome, totally different pathogen set. Of course, their meat can have things on it if it's maltreated, like um, salmonella that can make you sick, right? But in terms of actual pathogen transfer, it's going to be much lower load. So it's a similar microbiome as, uh, you know, evolutionary humans, we ate a lot of protein. And so, you know, we're, we're predator species. Um, so it's, it's just kind of a basic, uh, a basic rule of nutrition is you, you know, you eat things that are more dissimilar from you <laughs> genetically because of the pathogen crossover perspective. Your, your education, your knowledge, your expertise is so profound because uh, especially coming from someone who used to herself be a vegan, you know, this was a, a way of life that you followed for how long it was a, a good segment of your life, right? Yeah. I was a vegetarian for almost a decade. And in that decade, was that the decade that caused you the skin issues? Is that why you went out to Italy from that? Yeah. I mean, I, so I had, I started, I remember I was like, right, probably like early adolescence and it was the time of the Ethiopian famines. Um, and there was all these pictures of really emaciated Ethiopian kids in the news. And I, 
they learned about it and it's like they're shipping grain and there wasn't enough grain to get there. And I read around the same time that it was 12 pounds of grain to make one pound of beef or one pound of meat. So I just stopped eating meat because I'm like, well, it's 12 pounds of grain. And then of course, years later, I realized that's, you don't need to feed them grain. Cows actually take the world's worst food stuff for humans, grass, and turn it into really high quality protein for humans, right? That's something I figured out later on. But at the time it was like cows eat grain. That's how they eat. And then if, if, if you eat the meat, that's not an efficient use of resources from a caloric perspective. So I made that choice and, um, I really struggled. I, I gained weight. I had a hard time with energy. I struggled with depression. Um, and then in college, I became a competitive athlete. Um, I was a rower. And as part of that, I had to reintroduce some protein, but it was like, you know, just lots of hard boiled eggs and cheese and stuff like keeping it still staying away from meat. Um, and I, I was also very interested in cooking. So I got into cheese making because I was baking. I worked as a baker for a year. And then I started to make traditional biscuits and shortbreads and using whey in things like in a lot of traditional American cooker. I kind of go deep when I get into something. And so I got into traditional American breads and those use whey. So I started making cheese to be able to make my own whey. Um, you know, whey not as in like whey protein, but the stuff that's right, like the whey from the cow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whey from the cow, the albumin protein, sure. album protein in water. It's a great baking ingredient. So I started to make cheese to make that. And then from there, I was like, this is really fun. And I didn't start really introducing meat. Uh, reintroducing me until I moved to Italy. And I think there's a whole suite of things that happened because I, you know, working in dairies, I get up at two in the morning uh, or three and start milking. And I basically fast until like, you know, for the first 10 hours of the day and then eat like 3000 calories of like salami and cheese. And that, you know, that diet worked really well for me. Um, And I, I really, my mood improved my I was just on an even keel and the same way I am today, which is like kind of cool cucumber. I can kind of hold it together. I wasn't like that before when I was eating more. And I also say, Hey, you know, to the people watching who are making vegetarian choices in their life, I also probably wasn't doing a very well-informed vegetarian diet. You know, like I wasn't particularly well-educated in that. I wasn't really paying attention to my macros, right. Or whatever it might be. So I, I wouldn't say I did it. I really nailed it with the vegetarian diet. I also am an old blood type. I know I thrive with a lot of protein. So it just, for me, that worked really well. This is to say that I'm not, um, I'm not anti-vegetarian. I think it does work great for some people. It didn't work well for me. Um, and a lot of my, uh, you know, all of my kind of vital signs improved and continue to improve. You know, I, I, my got more and more aggressive on the animal protein through my thirties and forties. And it started when I moved back from Italy, I started to, I had a real taste for meat. I ate a lot of raw meat because in Northern Italy, where I lived for the second part of my time there, you eat raw meat at almost every dinner. And I lived in the, where I used to live was a courtyard of a house and the, there was a butcher shop in the front of the courtyard. So I'd get like you, you eat raw sausage there, raw beef. So I, every day I was eating raw beef and I loved it. And I was like lean. I felt amazing. It was like, I, this, it was a great, like kind of optimal performance time of my life came back to the U S gained a bunch of weight, felt lethargic, had brain fog, was grumpy. Um, you know, like waking up feeling like I couldn't get out of bed, like all those things. I'm like, Oh, this is just like me in college again. And it just happened when I moved back here. So when I wanted to kind of clean out my diet after a few months of that, where I was like, peace out, this sucks. I started, my first choice was buy a cow, um, you know, and buy it, buy a whole cow. That's, that's produced the way that I know will make me better. And that's what I did. 
Um, and that's like the sort of genesis of my, you know, Belcampo row was buying my own beef back in 2006. And then I scaled that up. I set up a meat buying collaborative. I did a couple of different things in like a baby way with that. Um, I also started buying and butchering pigs. I learned how to butcher. I got really hands-on with it because um, it was also fun. And it was like, kind of like uh, at the time I was starting some, I start built and sold two smaller businesses in that time. And I, it was a way to kind of keep me connected to the, to the manuality of food that I love. Right. Um, so it was, it was an exploration, but it was also like, gosh, this is so different than what I can find at the grocery store. And I feel so much better and it's priced really well. It's like, why isn't this scaled? You know, why isn't there any way for anybody who's not like got all this get up? I mean, I ran a produce company at the time, so I had refrigerated vans and I could cart a cow around town. Like I, I had all these, these tools at my disposition and I didn't, you know, you can't do that easily. So it was like, there was a challenge where it's like, man, what if there was a way to make this type of product available at a wider scale? Wouldn't and it is totally possible too. It's just a reappropriation of funds. There are like, think of people that have a thousand dollar iPhone or people that spend $200 a month on cable TV. There, there are costs, there are hidden costs when it comes to food. And one of the things I'd love for you to unpack is like, when we really look at the truth about organic, we've done a lot of content, but from your expertise, like what is the real truth about organic? What are the hidden costs of not eating organic? Because people see the label, oh my God, organic is so expensive. Grass fed is so expensive. But on a practical and pragmatic level, also a spiritual level, what is the real truth of, of like conventional versus organic? Oh, that's a great question. Um, first off, in my own household, um, in my own body, there are certain things that I will never eat if they are not organic. Those are anything that has a very thin skin and no protective exterior membrane. Um, so something like a blueberry never going to eat a non-organic blueberry, never going to eat a non-organic strawberry, avocado. No problem. I'll eat a non-organic avocado, um, corn occasionally. Sure. It's got a husk, right? So it's like, if there's a cabbage that's non-organic, I'll peel off the exterior ones and do it. Like, it's not going to be my everyday choice. I try to buy hundred percent organic, but just be rational. The thinner the membrane and the sweeter what's inside, the more careful you need to be about organic. Why? Well, A, anything that's sweeter is going to have a higher attraction for pests, okay? And then and, and you see this too, right? Like we see the difference in size. It's like there's the organic sweet potatoes and then there's the non-organic sweet potatoes. Well, why are, if they're organic and they have all these great nutrients and stuff, why aren't they the bigger ones, right? That's the question. Yeah. Yeah. And the answer is, well, it's like, it's a suppression of all stress, right? There's no, there's, there's no predation, right? Those plants are, and, and it's also a huge availability of chemical nitrogen. Those two things together cause these big, but the nutritional value is much lower, right? So I'd rather have the smaller fruit that's sweeter and high nutrient density if I'm going to eat a piece of fruit. So, but just like the rule of thumb, if you're at the grocery store and someplace random, you can't, you're off your game, just don't eat anything with a thin skin. That's not organic. In meat, you got this amazing animal that is great at processing and filtering out toxicity. It's got all these organs that can take all the wuju and like figure it out and poop it out and do that. Right. So are you going to get glyphosate in your body from eating a cow that's eating GMOs? No way. The cow is, you know, it's an incredible, you couldn't make a machine that did a better job at filtering out toxicity and things than a cow. 
right? So there's zero risk. It's not like eating you know, non-organic versus organic blueberry where you're going to get X, Y, and Z terrible endocrine disrupting chemicals if you opt for the non-organic version. That is not the risk. Eating the organic animals is more about being the change you want to see in the world. That's right. That's okay? right. That's really what they, that's what hits home the most when we look at plants versus animals is that okay. one point. But, if you are looking for what's meaningful in animals, it's being outside. Is it meaningful because it's woo and the right thing to do? Yes. Okay. But it's also meaningful because those animals grow much more slowly and they're under a lot less stress. That's important for your health too. Okay. Slower growing muscle protein has much higher density of protein. Uh, So, you know, our chickens have 20% more uh, protein per ounce than a conventional chicken. Our chicken breasts on our animals have 20 times the collagen of a conventional chicken breast. And they're not tough. They're tender, but animals that are moving their wings because they're outside, like they're getting more collagen. So is that great for your skin? Yeah. Uh, I mean, these are, those are good things for you to be beautiful and resilient and it's great protein to have, but it's like protein's not protein, right? So our, our chicken breasts have 20 times the collagen. Uh, I mean, it, they have as much as a cup, actually two cups of bone broth and a single chicken breast from Belcampo because of the increased mobility. So they, it's like, if I'm looking at the hierarchy of what to pay attention to in the grocery store, all of your soft fruits, zucchini. Um, your blueberries, we talked about strawberries, anything that's in that lettuce, get that stuff organic, yeah. get it local. Great. Meat focus on being animals, being outside. And the word you're looking for is pasture or grass fed and grass finished. Another way that that's said is hundred percent grass fed. So that's what you're looking for there from a health perspective. Then the, the, the nice next level on that is if you're getting that product that's already been outside for all its life, get it from an organic farm if you can afford it. Because that's going to be the change you want to be in the world, right? Which is fewer nitrogen based. And it's also, you know, farmers that are able to offer more traceability to have better record keeping. It's like a, it's a great movement. And I I get this a lot, you know, I can't afford to be organic. I I get it. Um, It's, it's not for everybody. It's, we're a big operation. We have like an accounting office and, you know, compliance people who can help us with a lot of things. So I have some real resources that a lot of other firms haven't had, and we have real scale. So some of the stuff that I can opt to do, am I going to say this is a must have for everybody else? No, but I think animals being outside and practicing regenerative agriculture, which is unfortunately not a very well-known term yet. Those are the key things that I'm looking for in protein. That's powerful. I think about uh, Polyface Farms and Joel Salatin, which uh, we've got to get him on the show too, because whether it's Zach Bush or whether it's Anya Fernald or whether it's Joel Salatin, you're all really putting a stake in the ground for, can we just let things be the way that they were designed? Can we stop trying to get in the way and use our ego? Honestly, for me, it's a bit of hubris and egotism that we think we know better than Mother Earth herself like it really shocks me at times the way people can just disconnect from the eternal wisdom that is presented to us every single day. And on your farms, how do you see this playing out? Like, is it possible on you to scale what you're doing across the United States? If so, how? Well, I want to revisit what you're talking about earlier too, in that of like, I think the most common medicine in the U S is antacid. Right. Yes. Most, the majority of men take antacid. Most pregnancy. people have GI issues. Period. So talk about like 
you know, <laughs> the sort of like basics, right? Which is that we should pay attention to the basics. And if our body's saying, hey, this food's making me sick, yeah. don't suppress those symptoms. Also so check gonna, the toilet. <laughs> How's your poop? I mean, we all poop, okay? So I, there's a there's a real willful disregard of the data. The data, sample size of one, your own body, your own life, right? Like it's the most, I mean, it, it, it's the most compelling thing to me. I mean, that's like actually why I adopted a mostly meat diet or more meat than I used to. It's like, cause my GI feels, my, my gut feels great when I do that. Um, it sometimes gets a little boring, but like I, my physical health is so much better that I don't really need a lot of data. At that point. You know, it's like, Hey, I feel amazing. I have all the energy I need. Like, let, like use your own intuition and, and your own body and your own performance. Right. Um, and the question around like, what's the scalability, uh, you know, I recently read that the third largest greenhouse gas emitter is meat that we throw away. Right. So we throw away like 40% of meat that's produced in America. So right now we overproduce, uh, we overproduce using animals raised in torture, hmm. you know, fed non-sustainable extractively farmed grains and inputs. So you have to look bigger picture. It's like, could Belcampo be 50 million acres and feed America? I, I don't know. Honestly, like they're probably somebody, not me could figure that out, but could there also be some basics? Like what about we don't throw away almost half of the meat that we produce? And what about we, instead of producing it really cheap and then not valuing it, throwing it away, what if we charge 50% more <laughs> and then we could afford to feed them grass? You know, like there's some really basic things that are out of whack. And I, I think it's, I, I actually really stand up for my pricing. You know, our, our ground beef is 9.99 a pound. Okay. That's expensive ground beef, but it's not 19.99 a pound. And it's produced in a way that's radically and dem demonstrably better for the environment. Um, and it's a product that I can stand behind and you can feel great about. It's like all these massive benefits to that. Um, and it's not a pound, which doesn't mean it's cheap, but it means you're not going to throw it away. Right. So, whereas if it's like yeah. 3.99 a pound, you're like, whatever, we didn't get to that this week. Let's ditch it. Whereas if it's not just that little incremental bit, you might be like, okay, let's actually just braise this so we can put it in the freezer and eat it next week. You know, you're going to have a bit of that mentality. So I actually, I think this idea that like to be not elitist, everything has got to be cheap is a fallacy, right? Because what about consideration and mindfulness as a value in this? You know, what about like pricing that coaches mindfulness and, and attributes true value? Mm. Plus we can't afford as a society to continue the way we've been going. Like that's the number one killer. We just right? can't. And, and also the way that the plant is being treated too. If you rotate animals and I'm sure on your, on your farms that you rotate the animals so that they're eating the grass at one time. And, and maybe you can elaborate on that. But the big piece for me that hit me in the gut, I have eaten in my life, conventional chicken. And I always wondered like, huh, why is it so much bigger? <laughs> you know, th these are chickens that are not grazing. They're they're actually, I watched the Morgan Spurlock documentary where he opened up the chicken restaurant. I don't know if you saw that. If you, if you haven't, you have to see it. Have you seen it? Okay. So he talked about like really the evils of the poultry industry. And it's like three companies that run everything mm -hmm. and they set the prices, they set the transportation, they have their own logistics. They basically have a stranglehold on these farmers and they're bankrupting these farmers. Like it really tugs on my heart.
And he goes into it deeply in the documentary. What you do is much different because in some of the media I've watched from you, you talk about how conventional chickens are processed. And when they're processed, they're bathed in chlorine. They're, they're pumped up so they can be sold for higher prices, which has less nutrient value. People need to know this. So please, please share this because it shocked me when I heard you talk about it. Yeah, chicken is really complex. I mean, it's 60% of the meat that we eat in America is chicken. Um, and chicken six, is- six, the- zero, 60 percent Yeah. And chicken is the most changed in terms of pricing and perceived cultural value in the past six decades. So Herbert Hoover, at the end of the depression, made a speech where he said, I'm going to like bring back an America with a chicken in every pot. And what he meant by that wasn't like, you're all going to have something to eat. It was, we're all going to be living a life of luxury because a chicken was more expensive per pound than filet mignon uh-huh. in the 1930s. A chicken should be more expensive than filet mignon. Chicken is the pricing delta. So my beef is typically like 40% higher than conventional. My chicken is like three times as high as conventional. Um, and that's not because we're like laughing all the way to the bank, right? It's because our chicken costs so much more to raise. So it's like the, the issues around chicken are husbandry. The animals are raised in confinement. They're in an extremely high stress environment. They have a continual exposure to antibiotics, suppresses their microbiome, causes rapid weight gain. They gain, they come to a full market weight in two and a half weeks. In 1950, market weight for a chicken was achieved in 54 weeks. At Belcampo, market weight's achieved in about 10 weeks, eight to 10 weeks. That's still pretty so quick. It takes, but it's like one fifth the time of a free range responsible mm-hmm. operation is a conventional mm-hmm. chicken. Um, so they, they, you know, antibiotics alone have been shown to increase weight gain by 1.5%. Um, times. And then you add into that stress uh, and enclosure, lack of light, um, all those different factors together, and they get this massive, massive response. It's basically an inflammatory response. Now, they're also, um, you know, in the case of of laying chickens, it's even worse where they're de-beaked because in the case of broilers, they don't need to de-beak them. They only live for two and a half weeks. They don't even get it together to start to peck each other. But in broiler chicken, in, in layers where they're in confinement for months because they're laying eggs, they're under so much stress that they're pecking each other to death. So their, their beaks are cut off um, and they eat a slurry. Um, they're also go through what's called forced molting, which is a, you know, forced starvation to cause them to ovulate and produce more eggs. And then they're kind of brought back to life after they push out a bunch of low quality eggs. I, mean, I think that conventional eggs like the, it's something like double the protein per ounce in a really true free range pastured egg operation. It's a, it's a pretty disgusting industry. So it's the most consolidated. So there's like on the husbandry tries, you can Google this. It's a pretty nasty rabbit hole, but there is also very strong human element. I haven't seen the Morgan Spurlock documentary, but I've read an excellent book called the meat racket, which is all about the consolidated poultry industry, the involvement of the USDA in, in financing it. And it's effectively like an economic slavery. It's typically new immigrants, Southeast Asian immigrants that are roped into to decades of, of debt to operate these farms. Um, the chicken hoop houses themselves have really, really bad outcomes for human workers. Uh, the hoop houses are uh, so contaminated that if the air ventilation systems break, 
the humans and animals have nine minutes to vacate or everybody in the hoop house will die. Oh my God. So that's how bad the load is if the ventilators aren't working. So that's from the Pew Charitable Trust studies from a couple of years back. That's that. There's also really compelling information about women and low birth weight babies and um, high incidence of stillborn uh, who live near the farms, even just like two miles away. Really, really increased negative outcomes around um, miscarriage and 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 birth weight. It's a bad system. It's bad for the people that work there. It's bad for the animals. And then the stuff tastes like garbage. You know, it comes out. It's woody. Uh, chewing that chicken breast. It's so bland that you have to douse it with like teriyaki sauce and sugar and soy to make it minimally palatable. You know, so it's just a lose lose from where I'm sitting. I, I come across a lot of people who have renounced chicken. I'm like I just can't do it anymore. And I completely hear that. Yeah. Um, the problem with chicken too, is that, you know, it's, it's expensive to do it right. And it's a, the difference is what's challenging, you know? So I think if you're going to eat chicken, go for pastured, go for organic and air chilled is important. And that's that we were mentioning about the chlorine solution dunk. There's um, with chickens to get kind of technical with it. They have um, thin skins. They have feathers. They're small in a conventional operation. Uh, it's three seconds to kill and eviscerate each bird. One, two, three, right? When we look at my what, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. So that in that time, I killed and eviscerated a chicken. Okay, that's not very much time to do like a careful, detail-oriented job. When you say and eviscerated, what do you mean by that? Eviscerated. Take all the guts out. Got it. Okay, when you take the guts out of an animal, if it's a little fragile, if you kill a beef and you take out all its guts. You basically cut it down the meridian. It opens up, you wash it out. I mean, this animal is dead at this point and all the guts fall out of a piece and they're really thick. You know, the, the beef stomachs are very thick. Nothing is bursting. There's no, there's no manure or anything around. There's, you know, there's viscera, right? There's the guts, but you'll you know, catch the livery, catch all the parts there's, but it's, it's really, and then the animal is still totally protected by its hide because the hide is removed later. So the potential for contamination right around kill with beef is pretty minimal. Beef contamination happens mostly afterwards because people are cutting up the things and they're sneezing or they've gone somewhere where they shouldn't and come back with manure on their hands. That's how beef gets contaminated, pork too. Chicken is a different story. Chicken gets contaminated because these animals are very small and their anus and all of their lower intestinal tract is right there near the surface. And it's very fragile skin. It's like a thin membrane, right? So you're working really quickly. There's feathers everywhere. There's poop everywhere. Um, and it's very difficult to keep clean, especially when you only have three seconds to do it. Yeah. Okay. So instead of making the proactive choice of like, we're going to go really slow and give people time to really make sure these chickens are being killed appropriately and slowly enough that they're cleaned out. We say, get them done as quickly as possible. And then we'll do an end user solution and we'll dunk the thing in an antibacterial solution. And that does two things. One is it kills most of the bacteria. Although independent tests show that on average, 48% of chickens sold in American supermarkets has fecal matter on it. Even with the USDA sticker. Yeah, you can Google this. It's a, a group of 15,000 physicians sued the USDA three years okay, ago. Okay, someone please, if you're watching on Facebook Live, put this in the comments. Please, Anya, continue. Okay, so this is, they were sued and they actually won the lawsuit. They said it wasn't their responsibility. But 48% um, of chicken, according to this group of physicians that they tested randomly across the US, is contaminated with fecal matter. But most of it comes off, they dunk it into this bleach bath and that kills a lot of the bacteria. It also 
causes about 10 to 15% of uh, weight gain. Um, so you've had the experience of like you cook a chicken breast or chicken thigh and it's like kind of gushy white liquid comes out. Yes. That's a solution. Wow. So that's the chlorine that we're eating. I laugh. It's not funny. I'm just, I laugh because. Chlorine and lactic acid. Sometimes the things that, that they're so obvious to people with the right kind of knowledge, um, they're really poo-pooed and they're kind of thrown away by people without that knowledge. And I, and I get it. Like if you're tuning in on Facebook, we're talking with Anya Fernald, the CEO, co-founder of Belcampo. We're talking about ethical meat consumption. We're talking about immunity as well. What is the number one thing for all of us to do? When we're looking at building a strong immune system, it is first and foremost, do not bring in invaders to the system. And then secondly, build up your system so that it has the right microbiome, micronutrients, so that it can actually repel these invaders. Has this conversation come up around immunity and meat consumption with you and your circles and your colleagues? How do you address that immunity and and ethical meat consumption? What goes through your mind when you hear the word CBD? Is it confusion? Is it clarity? Well, our partner Cured Nutrition has full clarity on 100% organically farmed cannabidiol. Say that like five times fast, cannabidiol, cannabidiol. (laughs) It's way more than just CBD. It can be quite confusing out there in the world with cannabidiol and CBD. I simplified it. I did the research for the past two years. I found Cured Nutrition. I interviewed Joe on the podcast. It's episode 300. This is all the parts of the plant. They use the entire plant. You get the rich terpenes, the healing compounds that allow you to sleep well and move well. And multiple scientific research studies are showing promise around cannabidiol for pain management, better digestion, and essentially amazing sleep by turning off your mind so you can rest. This full spectrum, 100% organically farmed hemp is grown in the sunshine rays of Colorado. I don't know if you've been to Colorado, but it's the perfect place to harvest powerful nutrients and plant medicine, that's really what this is. Medicine for your body and soul. I like to take the full dropper of the extra strength from Cured and put it under my tongue. I hold it for about a minute and I feel, me personally, this gives my digestion and my stomach this warm, calming, almost buzzing feeling. Give Cured a test drive. They support the show. They also support you with 15% off. Just use the code wellnessforce at wellnessforce.com forward slash cured. And you get 15% off your organically farmed full spectrum hemp. The best on the market. I've tried almost all of them. This is the top of the food chain. Go to wellnessforce.com forward slash cured and use your code wellnessforce to get 15% off so you can sleep well, love yourself and love your purchase. How do you address that immunity and, and ethical meat consumption? Well, I mean, that's a great question. I don't know if I've got the full knowledge base to respond to that. I'll say we were just talking about chicken and definitely in the case of chicken, if you're eating a small dose of bleach, that's going to suppress your microbiome. I actually think a lot of the issues that we have with digestion have to do with the glyphosate and the bleach and the antimicrobials that are in our food. You know that, for example, flour is now all treated with antimicrobials because of the E. coli issues in flour. I mean, like bread flour, right? Or you're making cookies with your kids. They don't want you to get sick if your cookie kids eat the cookie dough raw. So there's an antimicrobial now in the flour. So I think a lot of these, like I'm intolerant of gluten. It's like, you're actually reacting to a strong antimicrobial that your food is infused with. Um, so from an immunity perspective, that's the number one thing for me is clear that stuff out. Um, I have to say for myself, you know, now that I started traveling at the end of COVID, it's like, 
get on the airplanes and I can feel that fogging, you know, like there's this strong antimicrobials feel stomach ache for the next day. Um, I'm more worried about the antiviral and antimicrobial sprays on airplanes than I am about any potential, you know, exposure at this point. Amen. That's right. Um, but it's, so yeah. I'd say it's staying away from stuff that's got stuff in it to kill it and focusing on stuff that's so clean that it doesn't need anything to kill it. <laughs> that's one really key one. Um, but I, I mean, in terms of like the, when you look at immunity, you're looking at wellness, right? Immunity is about peak optimal performance that your body is, your needs are met. You're not stressed and anxious. You're able to focus on the issues, right? So I, I think that animal wellness supports that in terms of like we providing nutrient dense food that's optimally nutrient dense and with minimal inflammation, right? Our immune system is compromised when we're inflamed and inflammation comes from primarily junk that's in our food. We tend to blame the food, but it's more, I think the junk that's in our food. So that's like my sense on it is like eating clean, high, high density, high nutrient density foods is good and anti-inflammatory. And that's probably the strongest line I could connect between meat and and immunity. It's a brilliant point. One of the key characteristics um, when I work with people and also in my own life with my own body is like, if I'm holding on to water, like if I know my system is holding on to water, it's because there's inflammation somewhere. I mean, that's the key characteristic of being inflamed. Like uh, what's the first thing that happens when we stub our toe, it gets bigger. Like whoosh, it, it, it expands. And so anyone watching, anyone that's questioning, like, should I actually be interested in changing my diet? Look in the mirror. Do you find that your body's retaining water? You know, do, do you sense that you have inflammation and you're not exactly sure where it's coming from? I would say, start with your gut lining. And then of course, start with the food that's, that's coming in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And skin issues in general, right? And this is something you had in the past was with skin issues. And this is why um, we had Paul Saladino on the show. And I'm, you know, he's very controversial with, with the carnivore code, but most people that eat, that start eating higher amounts of animal proteins, not only do they reduce their inflammation, they physically look less puffy. And it's not just because they're eating cleaner foods. It's because they're just not taking on all these things that inflame them, like the chlorine and the pesticides and the fungicides and everything else. It's, it's a conversation that comes back around so much. And I'm curious if you have any insight on that. Well, I, again, I, I, I can speak to my own experience having done two months of carnivore diet space about eight months apart. Was it um, a strict carnivore? Or? Yeah. And, um, I, I, I incorporate lemon and olive oil because I'm too much of a sensualist, but those two things like, so and everything else I, I did. Right. Um, it's not for me for the long term. Um, definitely great to quickly lean out, but I did notice the biggest joy was just that I had no bloating and no gas ever. Um, and it was just nice to feel free of that. And I adjusted my vegetable and fruit consumption down permanently as a result, you know, like I've actually, I'm more prone to have something like, um, athletic greens or amazing grass as a supplement drink chlorophyll. Like I'm more prone to that type of thing. Now I'm never hitting the kale chips again, never doing the big leafy dark green salads, like all a little bit, but vegetables more on the side. And then when I am eating vegetables, they're really high water and very easily assimilated, you know, like zucchinis and tomatoes, like that kind of thing I'm going to do much better with. So I really noticed that some of these veggies that we consider like pillars of health, I'm like, but you're, you have gas and you're bloated. Um, why can, why these big piles of cauliflower and cauliflower rice and all this cauliflower, it's like, do you really need all that volume? You know, what, what's that about? And when I got rid of that, it was 
yeah, it's sort of fun to eat a big bowl of something. Um, and it makes you feel full, but it also makes you full. You know, you're you're really packed to the gills and that actually doesn't feel comfortable or good. So I, my outcomes for carnivore were definitely just a longer term adjustment um, towards things. And I'm actually kind of more inclined to like eat less vegetables. And if I'm splashing out, it's more like I'll have some bread or some chocolate or something that's indulgent and yummy, you know, but that's actually really refined. Yeah. <laughs> and, and really you make know, it like, count. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not going to say like, oh, I'm going to have this huge. So whereas this idea that like a mountain of vegetables is really healthy. If I really look at my body, my body tells me for a day afterwards, you know, that sucked. Mm. And I wasn't listening to that beforehand. The the way that you've been able to listen to your body, it started really early. And then you went and saw the slow food movement in Italy and you really understood what it was to eat from the earth on the earth and really respect the earth. And speaking of the earth, like 40%, I think it's around 40 to 45% of our lands, they're just not sustainable for animals to graze on, right? They're, they're, they're for, for growing crops, I'm sorry. Like you, you can't grow crops on 40% of the earth. Mm-hmm. But what's really cool is that animals, they can graze them. I was just uh, yesterday on the weekend, my love and I went out and we were looking at this Texas longhorn. We're here in Austin. So that, you know, these huge cows with the horns on, they look so cool. Yeah. And we were out there and I, and I fed, I pulled some grass and I reached over the fence and I fed it to this cow. It's the first time I've ever done that in my whole life. And I was just thinking, oh my God, I made the connection in real time on you. The sun shoots its energy down onto the grass. The cow mm-hmm. eats the grass all day long. All that concentrated sunshine, vitamin E, all these beautiful things, vitamin D. And then I eat the cow. I'm actually participating in this closed organic cycle. And that is a really special cycle that needs honoring. Can you contrast that with the 40% of lands that are really not suitable for growing crops? And, and what does that even mean to you? So I, I that's broadly called like brittle landscapes. Um, so that means lands. And it's ironic because some of the world's most lush ecosystems like rainforests and prairies grow on those landscapes that are not suitable for growing crops. Cropland is like rich alluvial plains, so places where there used to be rivers, and so there's deep deposits of natural nitrogen-rich um, organic material. Uh, and that that's like here in California, it's the Central Valley, is a massive alluvial plain down the middle of the state. Um, but that's the exception, right? And most of the land in everywhere is like, you know, brushy, couple hardy trees and lots of seasonal grasses. So if you look at what that means, it's that, let's say here in California, we have many uh, types of grassland that will be green for like three weeks or a month out of the entire year due to the natural cycle of rainfall. Okay. So during that month of the year, the, the adaptability is that cows or deer or any ruminant can walk over that land and digest that nutrient poor high fiber organic material and while they're doing that they'll typically aerate the soil through the movement of their hooves and they'll poop out you know mature seed pods deposited in a capsule of manure into the earth it's great they're reseeding right so they put play a functional role the same way birds do that you know birds eat fruit and then poop out the seeds that's why fruit evolves right so fruit evolved in concert with birds and grasslands evolved in concert with ruminants same role distribution and re redistribution of of seeds so that non-adapted cropland the idea that you could just take livestock out of the environment and be a net positive is a fallacy environments you know we see this all the time we like to it's kind of like almost like a colonial mentality to say that you could take the animals out. It's like a very masculine, 
like non-feminine, non-intuitive, non-mother nature approach of like, well, we're just going to put bunny rabbits in Australia and it's all going to be okay. You know, like these we've done this again and again and again. I don't think they would survive too long. <laughs> and we did, you know, and we just completely jack it up because it doesn't work, right? You can't just move one needle and say, oh, it's all going to just be okay. Right. So you, you have to, you have to look at this holistically and all these systems are holistic. So the, the livestock role in the environment, it's not something that we're saying hypothetically, we have numerous documented instances throughout history where when you eliminate ruminants, the natural ecosystem craters. What's one that comes up strong for you there, like an example in your studies and just from your knowledge base? um, The Dust Bowl, the American Dust Bowl kicked off the depression, right? Where we hunted the buffalo to extinction, which was an attempt to eradicate Native Americans and the Native American genocide, right? So it came from a really ugly place, but we sport hunted all the buffaloes, removed their food source, drove them into starvation, and let the buffalo rot on the prairies, right? And within, then we settled, this is the, you know, we settled that area and we planted the seeds of, you know, that we thought would then turn into this great vast cropland because this land was rich and, you know, it looked like a great cropland, right? So we planted wheat and corn. We had record crops for two years. There's some records from that time that were never beaten, have never been beaten because the yields were so high per acre. There's a book about this called um, The Worst Hard Time. It's a really good book all about this. And um, then within, in the third year, it cratered, the productivity cratered, because without the ruminant load walking through, redepositing, putting in manure, we uh, completely killed the ecosystem. Within a year after that, we had the Dust Bowl, we had some scary days here in the Bay Area with the fires. You guys saw, saw the pictures of it. was like you couldn't see the sun. That's how it was for three weeks at a time during the Dust Bowl. The erosion was so extreme. No micro roots, no plants. We tilled up the earth and we didn't put the animals back. So these things all work together as a system, right? And it's the same thing with the rainforest. You take the rainforest. Rainforest land is never very rich land right? All the magic there is above ground. It's about an ecosystem of plants working together. So we, when we take, when we take the plants and animals apart from that, when we deforest and slash and burn that that's those ecosystems are almost impossible to rebuild, right? Same as the prairie. The prairie is like the North American rainforest equivalent, right? Where it's actually got this very, very delicate balance of plants and animals. Wow. That's profound because I remember seeing the movie Interstellar and there was that dust bowl that was in there and just knowing what they went through as far as stressors. I'm sure you yourself have experienced a ton of stress when it comes to growing this business. What What is the most stressful thing? I mean, you're a very outspoken woman and this industry has some ivory towers in it that are very kind of lock and key. And look, I'm not here to divide. I think men and women can can rule in any category together, side by side, arm in arm. But I know with you that definitely there has been probably some unique challenges. Uh, what, what have some of those unique challenges been? Um, being dismissed as somebody who's good at marketing. That's been the biggest trigger for me emotionally. Um, I'd say, you know, being not being taken seriously um, as like, well, she's just good at selling or she's just good at putting a gloss on things, but she's not doing anything different. So I'd say that's been the hardest emotional obstacle for me to overcome um, in my, and, and kind of a limiting belief or a source of like self-sabotage 
right? Would be that. Um, the, the, the biggest thing, the biggest lesson, and I remember this early on in the company, like we had just opened a store and I think there was some competitor that was opening up and everyone on my team was like freaking out about this person opening, what was going to happen. And I just remember being like, this is the biggest waste of time, you know? And I think that's the easiest, the, the key thing for me in both of the, it's like not focusing on my competition. I don't spend one second of any day thinking about my competition. I just don't. And I don't care what they're doing. You know, I, I, we might look at their pricing to make sure that we're not totally out of the ballpark, but our pricing is based on our cost, right? And on a smart allocation of resources among our costs. So it's like, there, there's been some things that I've learned that anything I'm focusing on what people think about me or whether or not they think my success is merited, um, whether or not they're coming out to eat my lunch, that's all a waste of time. Every minute of the day should be spent on taking care of myself or making things better for my company and my people. That's been the biggest kind of learning is like, put your head down and get work done. Um, And there's, you know, there's definitely some aspects of female leadership that are, you know, that I'd advise women about around, you know, not, not taking on too much yourself or trying to do anything, everything. But I also think there's an element to being a woman where I know people on my team see me as like a maternal figure and that's fine. Like that's okay. It's okay to play kind of archetype roles within reason, you know, in the same way that you might have like a patriarchal role um, in, in another business, you know, like that's fine. I, I really don't mask my like femininity and my feminine energy and things. And I, when I have done in the past, it's been at great cost. You know, I've had, I remember early on, getting feedback. I was like, oh, you can't wear an apron. You're the CEO. It's the wrong look and really taking that to heart and not doing that. And then it was really social media that kind of allowed me to, to rediscover myself in leadership in a different way. Cause I started just being authentic about who I am on social. And I am extremely like, I love to cook. I love to take care of people. I'm really into being a mom. I'm like, I like, I have a lot of very feminine characteristics in addition to being you know, decent at business and good at building things and a good leader, right? So those don't have to be seen as separate. And it was really magical for me. I think the greatest gift of of social media for myself has been uh, having a platform where I can share that side of my personality. And I also noticed that my team really loved that. They were like connecting with me about that. And it's like, oh, you're so much, you know, so much more approachable. Um, And it's like, well, I've always been approachable, but, you know, now you understand kind of what really makes me tick. And it's, it's, I'm like, I'm like pretty, <laughs> I'm like pretty gender typical in a lot of ways. And I'm not saying that that's also a way that you have to be like heteronormative to succeed in that, but like sharing that side of myself was really great. And it's allowed me to kind of have much more of a fullness of being in a leadership role, you know, where that's I so good. Yeah, I really, and that's why I love podcasting. Cause I don't know if we'd ever hear that from you if it wasn't in this kind of a space. And I love it because the question that comes up for me, I've never even thought of this before, just in real time with you feeling this, how does eating meat in an ethical way help us balance masculine and feminine energies? You talked about the patriarchal, you talked about the matriarchal, no one's here to lead alone and it's never man versus woman. It's only that way because the law of the sexes, the war of the sexes perpetuates on media to divide us. How does eating this way through the Belcampo nutrient dense foods of these pastured animals, how does that help us balance the masculine and feminist within ourselves and and how we relate to others? Well, my theory with my own health is that um, healthy animal protein does allow you to have more vital femininity. 
so in terms of, I don't know, in terms of balance, um, yes. and, you know, but I do find that things, um, you know, the concept and the, the issues, the very gendered stereotypes around like hysteria and being volatile and these things I find for myself, I've experienced times in my life where that isn't, um, I found that through diet, I can really manage and show up in a way that's very vital and vibrant and feminine, but very calm and centered and grounded. Right. And part of that's like the usual things like journaling when I was set <laughs> instead of, you know, screaming. Right. So there's some things that I do that are just like yeah. good practices. And I always want to do more of them and set intentions to do more of them and don't achieve it. And like, you know, the usual kind of cycles that we all have. Right. But I, I also think there's a, there's an opportunity with nutrition to really feed yourself in a way that's self-love and not self-abnegation. Right. And I think that sometimes this energy of stress and being on the edge comes from women holding themselves in a place of calorie deprivation um, and, you know, basically physiological stress Mm. around achieving beauty. And I think there's a huge cost to that um, in terms of your energy and how you can show up in the world. I think many women manage it beautifully and there's certainly all types of amazing body types out there, but I'd say in my own experience, um, the ability to have deep nourishment and to have plenty of collagen and plenty of healthy animal fat. These are things that I find really contributes to my like vital energy in a way that allows me to show up with a lot of positivity. The leadership role that you have, like it's not easy. And, and I'm curious if there has been one person, maybe multiple, has there been someone that's been your guiding light? Like when things get really hard, who, who do you go to? Who have you depended on? Who have you learned from? to be a great leader, to have this embodiment of masculine, feminine, to, to lead like a leader should. I have a mentor um, right now who I've worked with extensively. Um, I really encourage people to find a mentor who's an official mentor, who's not a friend that you're yeah. spilling boundaries with, right? Friends don't challenge us enough. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I do all the things I go to, they do therapy. I do, I work with a mentor. I work with, you know, you have to, you, at a certain point, you have to use your resources to invest in yourself. Right. Um, and I've done a lot of different things. Like I've done all sorts of different types of experiences around personal growth and self-discovery. Mentorship is something though, that if I look back is a through line, um, and it's about challenging and also having boundaries around, you know, it's amazing with my mentor, he'll check in with me and be like, ask me about my relationship, ask me about the kids, ask me about the different things. And then it's like, okay, that's done. Now let's talk about how you're showing up in business. And so it's nice. Like I can always talk about my emotional state, um, but then I can also toggle into, you know, like, then it's like, great, that we compartmentalize that and that's relevant, but it's not the thing. And then we move into talking about the other stuff um, and the, the real business work. So that's been powerful for me. And, um, I've worked with female and male mentors and I, at different times in my life, and I don't have any perspective on, on gender there. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing about my mentor is that he's somebody who retired at the peak of his career in his late fifties, very successful, but chose to prioritize family and his faith and his other aspects of his life and being a grandfather and other things. Right. So that to me was more of like, I was looking for somebody who was making a choice about like wellness, you know, not like work myself to the very end um, kind of energy. So I think some, some goal alignment around like, okay, is this person 
could I imagine being happy with where this person is right now in life is a key thing and looking for a mentor, right? Mm. Um, so if your goal is to whatever, be a billionaire and work <clears throat> until the last day you can turn on your computer, awesome, find that person. But if your alignment is different, find somebody who's taken that path. Um, so it's more about life path. But I think I think mentorship is key. And it's interesting. I have times where I dive in a ton and then I'll go dark for two months, three months. Um, and then I'll dive in a ton. Um, and I, my mentor is paid, you know, it's not like this is a free service. Like I'm paid, which is then creates accountability on both sides. Um, that's key. So I, I really think that's a, that's an amazing, um, that's one thing in the next chapter of my life that I'm really eager to pursue more of is being a mentor. Wow. And the way you've been able to handle the growth of the company, being a mother, being like this figure that can just, it seems like constantly innovate. There's new products that are coming out. Um, I've been so inspired by just the conversations I've had with your team and uh, you and I chatted, I think it was uh, January of this year. And so here we are. And I'm just really enamored with what you guys are doing as a company. Uh, it's wellnessforce.com forward slash Belcampo. And if you use the code wellnessforce, you get 20% off. Yes, you are contributing to your health, but you're also contributing to the health of the planet. Like one of my favorite books, as we say goodbye, I'll mention this and I'll ask you one more thing, um, was written by Simon Sinek and it start with why. And he said something like, uh, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And, and what you're doing is actually both. Like people are buying what you do, which is giving them sustainably raised animals, but they're also buying, and especially if they've watched this to this point, they're buying why you do it. So thank you for what you do. And with that lens of why you do what you do, how do you see wellness unfolding for you and Bill Campo uh, and your family, just your community? What does wellness even mean to you? If you had to define wellness, um, how would Anya define a living a life well? Hmm. Um, that's something I've had a lot of evolution and personal growth around in the past year. Um, it used to be much more about how I looked um, and less about how I felt. And right now, I can be very personal on this is like my wellness is about agility and ease. I try, so this is not really answering your question, but it's something I want to say, which is like I look to model my physicality for where I want to go emotionally. Um, so I notice in myself, like in times where I need to manifest a lot of strength and power, that's when I'm like lifting heavy weights and garment. And then there's times right now I'm in, a, I'm heading into a moment in my life of a beautiful amount of fluidity. And I've been gravitating towards motions. Like I learned how to do handstand and I'm cartwheeling on both sides. Like I'm doing different things that like represent that to myself emotionally. And I'll often, it's not an intentional thing where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I want to be more fluid. So I start to move that way, but it's like, I've been just noticing that and modeling it. So it's that kind of connection. I think that's very powerful. I also think it's like waking up every day and being able to do everything you want to do. Um, and that's the greatest wealth, right? That's like the health is wealth is that sense of like, you get up and you can do what you can do. Uh, and that, 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 that's an, that's a huge blessing. And we don't, those of us that are, that have solid health don't realize always that the blessing of that, that's like, to me, wellness is, is being able to actualize everything that I want to do um, with my body in my physical day and being able to have, you know, be calm and alert and control my outcomes, you know, and, and not feel at the forces of things. Um, so it, it it's very, um, for me, it's been incredible to feel like the, the food that I make has always been a wellness piece of it. And then integrating that more into everything from like, 
being at the farm and doing breathing and being at the farm and grounding, you know, like this thing's like, it's also like creating spaces where people can feel optimal wellness. That's amazing. Right. So there's a lot of pieces of what I built that connect to wellness. Um, but I'd say on an everyday basis, what is wellness? It's like, when you wake up today, can you do, can you physically do everything you want to do? Mm, that's profound. That's one of the best answers we've ever had. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation and we covered so much ground on you on podcasts and in, in this conversation, what did we miss? Is there a question that you haven't been asked that you've been really wanting to answer for people? Hmm. Um, are there any organ meats that are striated muscles? <laughs> yes. <Same>. The tongue. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people don't ever ask me that. It's like oh, the organ meats, but yeah, but the tongue doesn't have any really special micronutrient superpowers, but it is a delicious thing to cook and it's got tons of collagen. Okay. Well, go to the bellcampo.com well, uh, the website and look up the recipes. There's a ton of recipes on there. It's my favorite actually uh, recipe that uses bacon. Bacon is so good. Of course, just like anything, we want to eat it ethically and, and make something. What's your favorite bacon recipe? Gosh, well, actually, um, the recipe that I love is just bacon, organic, gluten-free waffles, and eggs. That's a recipe of its own. Simple. I know you like simple. Uh, that's my favorite. I dig it. That is the best. And then, of course, anything that involves like dates and bacon, like like you wrap okay. bacon around a date and maybe put some goat cheese in there. Oh, my, come on. Mm-hmm. Viola. Um, yeah. Anya, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for everybody on Facebook watching this. Please share this podcast. If you want to make a difference in the world, if you want to eat better for yourself and your family, go to wellnessforce.com forward slash Belcampo. The, the code is wellnessforce. You get 20% off. Anya, thank you for the discount, by the way. Thank you for partnering with us. And thank you for having this conversation. I've really enjoyed your personality and, and your outlook on life. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for having me. Thanks. This podcast is brought to you by our trusted friends at Organifi, the creators of the Organifi Gold my number one turmeric, lemon balm, and superfood adaptogen bombshell that, trust me, will make you sleep like a baby. I know this because I use it on the regular. Not only is this one of my top sleep supplements I use personally, but also it helps my nervous system and my stomach calm down at the end of the day in the evenings, especially if I've had a stressful day. I know you have those too because you're human. (laughs) And because we're human, the best thing to do is take loving care of the human body starting with quality sleep, not just quantity. This is gonna allow you to have the highest quality of life possible. So if you've been struggling with sleep, give this superfood adaptogen powder, the Organifi Gold, a test drive for a special deal over at wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. Pick up a 30-day supply, give it a test drive. If you don't like it, you can send it back, but no one's ever done that, (laughs) as far as I've heard. 20% off is the biggest discount you'll find over the entire internet. We're grandfathered in. These savings are for you. Head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi and use the code wellnessforce. Share this with your friends, your family, and anyone who wants to drink the gold and sleep well. Thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Everything you learned on this podcast starts with your morning practices. So from over 300 world-class guests, we pulled together six simple yet powerful morning practices down into a 21-minute system guaranteed to increase your vibration and the way that you feel every day. 
get this free powerful guide over at wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. And if you love this show, share it with somebody. Share it with somebody that you love or that you care about. You can support the show easily by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash review. Or if you're on your phone, just tap it, hit the link in purple that says review this podcast. And the journey does not stop here. We're continuing this discovering process in our private Facebook group over at wellnessforce.com forward slash group. You can be a part of it. You already are. All you have to do is join us at wellnessforce.com forward slash group and I will welcome you at the door. Now go out into your life and live your life well. And until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.